Welcome to GayRomance.show, the MM author podcast where we get to hear from the writers of our favorite LGBTQ fiction and their collaborators. We're talking about the creative process behind these characters and their worlds. I'm your host, Slade James. It is Saturday, May 9th, 2020, as I record this introduction. This week, I'm speaking with Annabeth Albert a prolific hybrid author from the Pacific Northwest of many fan-favorite series, including Hot Shots, Frozen Hearts, Out of Uniform, Gamers, and more. Annabeth's author craft superpower is plotting, and in this interview we talk about how to use plotting tools to predict and hit a specific length for your project. That conversation is coming up in just a few. In personal news, a lot of you have written to ask, so here's an update. First of all, I'm very happy to be returning after a hiatus. The COVID-19 pandemic, of course, created some shifting priorities, not only for me, but for my guests. The interview guest schedule took a big hit on both my shows, and I get it. It's cool. Everyone has been finding their new normal. I was able to reorganize some things in my nonfiction day job. My primary source of income is the Shift Your Spirits podcast, which is a weekly show, and when there aren't guests on that show, it requires a lot more narrative nonfiction and memoir, and more actual writing goes into producing those kind of shows. It's kind of like writing and narrating a mini audiobook each week. Meanwhile, I had a really intense, thankfully unrelated, random health crisis. Like a lot of the world, I started out the stay-at-home period with an ambitious weekend of yard work, which resulted in the most horrible case of poison ivy I've had since I was a little kid. I've always been highly allergic to it, and I'm pretty adept at managing a few small cases a year, but this time it got really out of control. After three weeks of employing every home remedy known to man... I ended up at an emergency room on a Sunday during the worst time you could possibly go to an emergency room. I was put on steroids, which were a godsend, very effective, but I was pretty shocked by the hardcore side effects of the steroids and spent another three weeks with scary high blood pressure and total insomnia. And then I got an eye infection. (laughs) There's some real Old Testament bullshit happening over here in my world. Um, Anyway, thank you for all the kind messages checking up on me. And I apologize to those of you who can never unsee the horrific pics I might have shared with you, Kelly Fox. And I'm happy to report I'm feeling pretty close to normal again. I don't think I'm alone in trying to find new working rhythms during this global crisis. It feels like we're all strung between having tons of time at home in which we should be super productive and then a whole bunch of stuff making that extra difficult. I hope you and your loved ones are safe and well and that you're at least getting to read a lot and consume a lot of great audio. Before I forget, I want to say a quick thank you for sharing this show with friends and leaving a review on iTunes. Both of those are entirely free ways you can support the show that have a huge positive impact on its visibility. I also want to thank you for pledging your support on Patreon. I did pause the Patreon during the hiatus, so nobody was charged when there were no new episodes. Your pledge demonstrates that you're enjoying the show and you want it to continue, and that's very encouraging to me. So to find out how you 
you can become a patron and support my time in producing more and more of these episodes, please go to patreon.com slash James. I first met Annabeth Albert online in the MM Book Rec Facebook group. I was trying to find novella-length titles to read and study with the intentions and hopes of producing some shorter-length work. Annabeth engaged me in a chat and humbly suggested some of her own titles that fit the criteria of what I was looking for, which were fantastic, by the way. And many months later, I heard her give a lecture about plotting, which was also fantastic. And being a plotter myself, I wanted to pick her brain about the very thing that brought her on my radar in the first place, plotting to a specific length. So this interview was a beautiful full circle moment for me that I hope will be enjoyable and useful for you too. Annabeth is super approachable, charming, and full of great practical advice, and I'm honored to have her on the show. I asked her to start off by sharing her publishing journey and a little bit about her own creative process. Okay, so I started writing in 2003. I wrote my first novel, and obviously that one didn't publish. And so I kept writing. um, And then in around 2011, 2012, I was watching The Sing-Off. And at that point, I'd written several novels. But I was watching The Sing-Off, which is an acapella music competition And all of a sudden, this plot bunny came to me, and I realized it was going to be two guys, and I had to write this book. And so that book became Troublemaker, which got me my first agent, it got me my first sale to Kensington, and it got me into this genre. I had been writing romance the whole time, but I had started reading in the LGBTQ genre, And I just, I found my home. I found what I wanted to write. (laughs) Well, do you remember the first MM romance that you read by any chance? Yes, I do. I had a new baby and my husband had gotten me a nook and he said, you know, you got to watch the budget. And so I was looking for free, but legal content. (laughs) And Marie Sexton's promises was free. And I was like, oh, because I'd read Suzanne Brockman, who had done some subplots with um, LGBTQ characters, but I hadn't read two LGBTQ characters as the main characters. And it was like a whole new world opened up. And I ended up reading a lot of other authors. I ended up discovering Kay Mitchell's whole backlist and Marie's whole backlist. And I was just hooked. Are there any authors that are kind of like your big influencers as far as uh, you like you read them and think, Oh my God, if only I could write a book like that. Well, so um, in general, like Suzanne Brockman is like the mountaintop, like, you know, like I want to plot like that. Like I want to write big books like that. But in terms of in our subgenre, AM Arthur's ability to kind of ring out the emotions. Like I want to be able to do that. And K.J. Charles is, like, the absolute master of plotting. Like, if I could do a twist, even half as good as K.J. Charles, like, that would be awesome. I'm furiously taking notes here for <laughs> to learn from those. Um, 
I don't think that we could probably ever run out on a conversation about plotting because I've heard you uh, talk about plotting before. But um, before we talk more about maybe how plotting can work for other people, I'd love to just hear about your creative process. Like um, you can talk about any book that that comes to mind, but you know what happens from the from the moment the plot bunny arrives? How do you process that? Okay, so I didn't start out as a plotter from 2003 to 2011-12. I swore up and down that I was a pantser. I had to be a pantser. And then I wrote Troublemaker, and I pantsed my way through it. It ended up being 120,000 words, which was not going to work. And I ended up pulling it completely apart over about a 12-month period. I rewrote it three or four times. I got it down to under 100,000 words. And I realized at that point that I had to plot that because I sold three books in the series. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't spend a year rewriting every one of these books. And so I became a plotter and I immersed myself in sort of the masters of plotting um, in terms of books. And so I recommend um, James Scott Bell and um, there's another book called Writing Love, which is tips from screenwriters and save the cat. And so I ended up kind of immersing myself in those sort of plotting resources. And that has influenced where I've ended up. So that's kind of the backstory. Mm-hmm. And then, so um, I could talk a little bit about like what I'm doing now, if that helps. Yeah. What does it look like now? So, okay. So for a book that's coming out these days, I get an idea and I start kind of using a lot of the story genius backstory help. Like I start thinking, what's the what if question for this character? What's their wound? What are they lacking? And so I do all that character backstory work first. And then I plunk down about 20 note cards and I know sort of the beats that I want to hit with the story that every single story is going to have. Every story is going to have a midpoint. Every story is going to have an arc that descends towards the climax. Every story is going to have a resolution. So you know these beats. And so then I start kind of asking myself, well, how long is this particular project going to be? Is it a novella? Is it a longer book? And so if it's a novella, I might be able to get by with just those 20 cards. If it's a longer book, more cards start coming down. And a lot of times I know scenes that are kind of out of order. So I'll put those on cards first. Like maybe I can really see that grand gesture that's going to open us into act three. Or a lot of times I know the midpoint. Like when are we going to really know that this couple is in love? And so I start putting down ideas for those scenes and then I kind of, I try and flesh out the plot and that can take me a couple of days, at least several hours, um, usually a couple of days to kind of start really letting the book percolate in my head. How is it going to open? How are we going to transition from act one to act two? Where's that midpoint going to fall? And so I'm looking 
through possibilities for each of those things. Like, do I want the act one break to be a kiss or is it going to be a love scene or is it going to be a long look? Like what's, what's going to happen there? And I'll kind of go through possibilities as I kind of work through what's going to be on the cards. And then those cards end up becoming the plot. You know what? You're preaching to the choir here. You already know that. But for those people who are still pantsers, um, who feel like the beats are daunting or, you know, the whole process sounds, you know, labor intensive. What are some of the benefits to plotting the way that you do? So the number one thing that I found is that now, as opposed to when I first started, I can predict the length. I don't end up going too far over or too far under. If my contract says I owe an 80,000 word book, Usually I can count on because I plotted being somewhere in the high 70s to the high 80s. Like it, you know, it varies a little bit, but I know I'm going to hit that length. I know I'm not going to accidentally write a 40,000 word novella. And I also know I'm not going to accidentally write a 120,000 word tome again. And so it lets me predict length. And so, and I know like this past year, I had a month where I wanted to write the holiday novella that became Mr. Right Now. And I only had a month. I knew that it could be 30,000 words. And so I had to plot to that length because I wasn't going to have time to bring out a book that was, say, 60,000 words. I just was, I knew how fast I can write. And so I needed it to be tightly plotted to that length. And so when you plot, the way that I kind of do, you know your average scene length. You know how long, how many cards you're going to need to reach that length of how many scenes. And so that gives me actually a lot of freedom because I don't have to worry that I'm going to end up pulling a bunch of content that I didn't need. And so that's um, that's kind of the big benefit to me is the predictability. The other thing that kind of goes along with that is editing. It makes editing a lot easier because I do a lot in that pre-plotting part that saves me time later because I'm able to see the cards laid out. And so I can see, oh, you know, I actually have two midpoints. That's not going to (laughs) work. And so I take the cards and I rearrange. And what could this other scene be? Does it really even need to be in the book? And I haven't written it yet. I haven't wasted three days on a scene that wasn't going to be needed. And so usually it's not uncommon for me to add a couple of scenes in developmental edits or, um, or later on in other edits, like when the beta readers get back to me, but it's pretty rare that I have to cut things. You know, I might cut something here or there, but I don't end up losing 20,000 words or I don't end up on kind of this tangent for a week that I goes nowhere. And so, um, and we've all been there. Like I had a lot of that in my early books. And so now I can predict that it makes the editing a lot easier and also um you know for the self-published authors out there it makes the editing cheaper because and mm-hmm. you know and that's that's a benefit because if you end up needing to pay for multiple rounds of developmental edits so you end up having to do a lot with your beta readers time is money and so for me 
writing a tight first draft that's well plotted saves me that time and money on the back end. And so I'm willing to spend the couple of days plotting because I know it's going to save me weeks later on. Mm. While we're on this topic of using the plotting to kind of control the length of the project, um, I think I first started reading you um, the Portland Heat series when I was looking for some shorter works, like not short stories, but not full length novels. And, you know, the, there was a sweet spot that I was kind of looking oh, for. Oh, yeah. And, I love novellas. <laughs> um, and I would love to write novellas because I feel like it would allow me to burn through more ideas and not get so bogged down in, you know, like one precious thing at a time um, and, and, and get to, you know, use more, experiment with more, try things, put more product out. So um, it is something that I look at wanting to be able to do. But what happens to me is I try to write like a short story and it ends up being, you know, 30,000 words or whatever. It's good, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I was just wondering, because if you do study beats and, um, you know, there's some great resources that will really give those 13 milestone scenes and, you know, you can really lay them out there. Like you said, start with that set of cards. So it seems to me that it's easy to use plotting, um, to write longer stuff, really. So I'm wondering what kind of advice you have about if I want to write that 40,000-word uh, novella, how do, you, um, how do you get that, how do you hit that target? Okay, so the answer that a lot of writers don't want to hear is math. <laughs> and um, so you take your finished manuscripts. You already have a backlist. You've done something. And it might even be that you haven't written fiction or romantic fiction, but you kind of you've written something. And once you've written a few things, you start to get a feel for how long your scenes tend to run. And some people, they write 500-word scenes. Other people, they write 1,500-word scenes. And some people have a mix in a project, but there's an average scene length. And so to write a novella, I need to know what is my average scene length. And for that, then I can do multiplication. And I know the math. <laughs> but I can see how many scenes is it going to take to reach 40,000 words. And for me, I always go long. So I'm going to plot how many scenes does it take me to reach 35,000 words because I know I'm going to end up hitting close to 40. And so I take that average scene length and that number of cards. And so I lay it out like it's going to be 35, 40,000 words. And then I look at, well, if that's how many cards I need, where are these beats going to fall? And so sometimes you get your 13 beats out and you're like, oh, that's going to be a 20,000 word short novella, mm -hmm. a novelette. And so you're done. You have 13 beats. You know your average scene length. You are ready to rock and roll. Other times, maybe you're going to need to add some cards. And for me, like a 30,000 word novella is often like 20 cards or so and so I just I know my average scene length and I do the math and so I lay out that number of cards and that gets me to the right length and I love writing novellas I also write like writing long books 
And so being able to predict that, is it going to be a novella or is it going to be a huge book? Mm-hmm. That's freedom. That's a lot of freedom for me because then I know where is this book going to fall in my release schedule? Is this going to be what the price point that I wanted for this holiday book or something? And so, yeah, I love being able to predict that. And it's worth doing a little bit of math for me. Okay, so basically what you're saying there is if your full-length novels are working with the same number of beats, but you know you write 2,000-word scenes, then we're looking at shaving off per beat You'd assert, making them a thousand word scenes or fifteen hundred. No, word scenes. no, your your scenes are probably going to stay the same length. Okay, but you're looking at not needing as many scene okay. cards. I got gotcha. you. So for an eighty thousand word book, which a lot of my full length novels are in the eighty thousand range, I right. like that range. Yeah. So that's for me is forty two to forty eight cards because I write little under two k length scenes. Mm-hmm. But I know that's just how long I write scenes like it, they're not going to get substantially shorter when I write a novella. So like for Mr. Right now, I plunked down 20 cards because I knew I was going to be, you know, 1500, 2000 word scenes. And so I knew that that's just my sweet spot for scene length. And it doesn't get substantially shorter for the novella. Mm-hmm. It's just that I need fewer scenes. I gotcha. So what about like the idea of having scenes where maybe more than one beat is um, taken care of in the same scene? Do you do things like that? Like compress certain parts of the story? Right. And so here's a tip. When you're doing that, you got to compress equally. So if you have the act one and you have scenes that are doing double duty because you're writing a 15,000 word prolific works short and you're going to condense everything. Yeah. You got to condense your middle and your act three too. You can't just condense act one down to like three scenes and then stretch your middle out over 10 scenes and then no act three. Right. Like you've got to condense it equally. So I try and again, I know the math is kind of daunting for a lot of people, but like I try and like have it or third it across the board. So when I do a prolific works short and I love doing things that short for my readers, my readers like them, I'm going to condense across the board. I'm going to make it equal in terms of how many scenes I still have. And so if the scenes are doing double or triple duty, they're going to do that across the board. I gotcha. Okay. Do you have any advice about plotting the middle? You know, everybody always talks about getting lost in their middle. Is that something that you struggle with or? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I think everybody struggles with the middle muddle or the saggy middle as we call it. And plotting can, I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but plotting can save you on that. Because you're not going to end up with a super long act one and no room for a middle. And that happens to some people. I've written books that act one kind of dragged on and then it's like, oh, there's no time for them to actually fall in love. What am I doing here? And so you've got to have the pacing so that your middle happens at the right point in the story. So that's really important that your middle is going to take place 
sort of at the right ratio across the board. And so when your middle is hitting at the right point, it's going to be better paced. And then you make sure that your middle isn't dragging on too long. And James Scott Bell talks a lot about that midpoint of stories. He's written entire books just about the midpoint. And so if your midpoint is hitting roughly halfway through the book, and sometimes mine's a little long, but roughly halfway, then you know that you're not having too much middle muddle because your descent to the bleak moment is happening at the right point. You have action happening that's carrying you towards act three, and you're not just dragging out this sort of plain, and by plain, I mean like a flat thing, not mm-hmm. like plain as in not ornate, but like a flat thing that never rises, never falls. You want your action to happen in a predictable way so that you know that stuff is happening and that you have your characters actually falling in love and then you're actually testing that and the actual things that are happening that's going to change from book to book but that pacing that's the predictable part and when you have a well-paced middle you're not going to have the saggy problem. You're not going to end up with going 30,000 words bigger than you thought your middle was going to be. You're not going to end up with problems. Like I just said, I've had books where I had multiple midpoints in the draft and, oh no, that's not going to work. And so you have to kind of look at that predictable curve of rising action, the midpoint, the falling action, is it well spaced? Is it well paced? That's going to save you from the middle muddle. I actually really love James Scott Bell's books, but particularly writing from the middle. Um, I did a a workshop class with him a few years ago where you know he talked about some of his his plotting techniques. But I find the, the the thing I think is so brilliant about the concept of writing from the middle is when you know what's going to cause that big climactic moment and you know how, you know, the the all is lost moment is going to play out. It affects so many choices that you make about the characters throughout the book from the beginning. It sort of defines right. where you're headed. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so for me, that's why I said when I lay out my cards, I often know that midpoint. And then I work my way back to the opening. And so I'm able, and then I write linear. I don't write out of order when I'm drafting, but I plot kind of out of order as I'm doing the cards. Because if I know that middle, if I know what they've gained, what falling in love has brought to their life, then I'm able to look back and see, well, okay, what were they lacking? Why did they need to fall in love? Mm -hmm. Why did they need this person to come into their life at this moment? What wound is that healing? What is it bringing to their life that they didn't have before? And so if I know the midpoint, I can then figure out what they're lacking. And then the question is, well, how do I show that lack to open the book? in an interesting, engaging way. And so, yeah, if you know the midpoint, you can work your way back. And if you know the midpoint, you know what they gained, 
And then you can work your way towards that all is lost, the bleak moment. What are they going to lose? If this relationship doesn't work out, what's that going to take away from them? And so knowing the midpoint is absolutely crucial for me. Yeah. And it saves you from getting there and then realizing, oh, I need to go back and rewrite the first act so that this moment makes more sense, you know? Exactly. And also it saves you from writing a book where nothing happens. <laughs> you know, I mean, I know that, but you know, we've all read books like that where it's like they, they're the same person, the whole book. And to me as a reader, that's not as engaging as a book where the character grows and changes. And there's room in the genre absolutely for books where the people don't grow and change. But to me as a reader, I want that growth. I want them to start with needing something in their life and then they gain it and then it's at risk. And then we get the big fluffy ending that we all love. I'm just curious, is there a part of the process that no matter how many books you've written, you still always like lose sleep over a little bit or struggle over? I'm just curious. It makes us all feel better when we hear that you struggle with something. Well, in the plotting, I'll spend a lot of time with that middle. Like, what is the midpoint going to look like? Because it's so crucial. And so I'll spend a lot of time... And then when I get into the draft, there's always the doubts, like the doubt monkeys just come. <laughs> and so I call them the doubt pros, but they come and they're like, oh, the book is not going to be long enough. This is like my big fear. The book is not going to be long enough. You plotted wrong. Your middle is not doing what it needs to do. And those doubts are what keep you up at night. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I have to look at my plot. I have to trust my plot. I have to remind myself, hey, you've written other books. You're going to get through this middle. Just because it's miserable and you feel like you're never going to hit 40,000 words, you are. And trusting that the story is there. Because I think when we spend four or five days on a given scene, but our reader is going to spend 15 minutes reading that scene, we lose some perspective. And so we're like, oh, this is the worst scene in the world. And nobody's going to want to read it. But then you finish the book, you go back, you read it. And that scene that gave you such fits, it's working fine. And so trusting the process is probably my hardest thing. And I think we all struggle with that. Mm. Well, if you spend all that time making a good plan, you at least you can trust the plan when right. you're so, in the process. Right. And so I just, that's where having my cards and stuff helps me because I'm like, okay, you planned this. It's going according to plan. It's not going to go short. You never go short and just trust your process, trust your plot. And if it's really not working, then you can adjust your plan. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of push pull of, okay, trust the plan. But if it's, If your gut is saying something is absolutely not working, look at the plan. Do you need to change the plan? Has something surprised you that needs to be put in the plan that's going to change, say, what's happening in Act 3? And so there's kind of that flexibility built into the process, too. 
people are going to be listening to this show if they follow along with it in mid-May of 2020. So I was wondering if there are any recent releases or upcoming releases that you'd like to talk about. Sure. So I just released Burn Zone on April 27th. That was the first book in my Hot Shot series, which takes place in Central Oregon, and it centers around smoke jumpers. And I was so excited to get to explore this universe. And it's out now. It's wide with Karina Press. And I'm so excited to get to bring readers this new exciting action romance universe with smoke jumpers. And then in June, I'm kind of switching directions a little bit, less high drama and more fun. And I'm bringing you conventionally yours on June 2nd, which that is my gamer road trip, um, fun, fluffy, romantic comedy. It has new adult age guys. They're on a road trip. It's really fun. And then in July, we'll go back to more hot shots. But that's kind of what's coming from me and what's out now. And I'm really excited about all of it. Oh, that sounds really cool. The The, the term smoke jumpers just begs for somebody to write about it. Is the, oh, um, yeah. the hot shot series, is it more smoke jumpers or will the additional books explore something else? So it's all taking place in the universe of wildfire firefighters. And in that universe, you have smoke jumpers, but you also have ground crews. You have people that work the line sort of beating back the fire on the ground. You have the smoke jumpers. You have the helicopter crews that come in. They often do the medical rescues. The helicopters do things. And then you have the big planes that bring the tanks of water and fire retardant in. And so it's all one big team that's often multi-agency driven and so what I tried to do in the three books and now it's going to be four is have a wide range of sort of activities and book one and two have people that have been smoke jumpers and then book three has people that are more line workers and I don't want to give too much of the plot away but Mm -hmm. like um So that community is kind of what holds the series together. And yes, smoke jumping is absolutely part of the whole four book series. And um, it's just fun to explore a range of jobs within that community. Like, what does it look like to be a newbie who's never been on the line? And that happens in book two. One of my characters wants to be a wild firefighter and hasn't done it before. And so what does that look like as opposed to a more experienced smoke jumper who's been at it for 10 or 15 years? And so that dichotomy is really fun to explore. Oh, that's cool. It's also kind of like you've taken the sexy firefighter archetype and like added a bunch of layers and complexity to it. So you get to like explore more of the reality of that. It's a really cool concept. Um, And I'm excited actually about the conventionally yours because I like the idea of the um, the sort of new adult. Uh, age group that's one of I my, love it I that's love one it. of my little like guilty pleasures I think is like that age group yeah for sure and I love the romantic comedy too yes. like it's yeah. fun because I write the action adventure with my seals and now with hot shots 
And that's great. I have mature people. They're often in their 30s and 40s. And it's great. But then I get to switch direction and I get to have the younger people and they're snarky and they're falling in love for the very first time. And it's great. And I, I love both. I like being able to switch back and forth. Me too. And as a reader, I like to, to move around a little bit too with my mood. Tell us where we can go to find you online. Okay, so you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the usual social media places. On Facebook, I have a really active readers group. It's called Annabeth's Angels. We have about 2,500 members in there now. Um, it's really fun. I post all my teasers and look-aheads and giveaways and shorts all in there. So I really invite readers to join us there on Facebook, but I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. And on Instagram, you can see my dog and my quarantine baking experiments. <laughs> and so, yeah, look me up on social. And then I obviously have a website too with my upcoming and current releases. But um, social media is probably the best way to kind of keep up with me on sort of what's coming and the teasers and stuff. And so, and I love connecting with readers. If you're listening and you've read some of my books. I love hearing from you guys. So absolutely, look me up. Um, so there's one question I love to ask everyone. What do you hope that your books contribute to the lives of your readers? I think what I want more than anything is for readers to read my books and feel hopeful that love really will triumph over the worst parts of our life. That if we are able to, and it, now not everyone wants a relationship, and I know that and I recognize that, but that love, whether it's friendship love, platonic love, or romantic love, that it really can heal and that it can change us on a fundamental level that makes sort of dealing with those difficult parts of life easier. And again, whatever sort of relationship we're seeking, that if you find it, it's worth it. And I think that sort of deeper message of the power of love is a lot of what I try to bring, especially to my longer books, like what can love really do? Annabeth, it's so great to get to pick your brain about your books and your process. Thank you for agreeing to do this. Oh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Slade. This was, I'm really glad that I got to do this. Thanks again for listening to GayRomance.show, the MM Author Podcast. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever app you prefer. For show notes and links to the websites and books we mentioned, please go to GayRomance.show. You can also find me at SlateJames.com. And I'll talk to you later.